Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. There is a Korean cooking program that I often watch. It is very useful for someone like me who doesn't know how to cook well. The chefs clearly explain what they are doing, so it is easy for me to understand. I don't know if you have all noticed, but there are so many television cooking shows out there, and almost too many to count. They vary from cooking shows that actually teach you how to cook, chef competition reality shows, and shows that take you to famous restaurants and shows that introduce you to foods around the globe. Speaking of the chef competition shows, I've heard that the popularity of these chefs are about the same as an entertainment or sports celebrity. Nowadays, when you ask an elementary school child what their future career is, being a chef is now included in the top 10. It may be to the impact of the popularity of these shows, but someone mentioned to me that all people talk about lately is food. Which restaurant is good? What can I do to cook this better? Who is the best chef? Even when watching TV or meeting friends, the topic of food enters the conversation at some point. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son and make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice Called out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me to life I know that it is No power, no wisdom But I will 
Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my Why is it that these food and cooking shows have recently gained so much attention? It might indicate that people nowadays desire to know more about food and cooking, that this is what they value, and this is where they seek comfort and happiness. People say we have about ten thousand taste buds in our tongue. I often think of the perfect place God created, the Garden of Eden, and I wonder how many delicious fruits must have been there. Do you think God gave us as many taste buds because He wanted us to taste and enjoy the fruits He made for us? If God only made food to provide a nutritional supply for our bodies, then there would be no need for Him to give us taste buds, as taste would not matter. Food is a gift given to us by God, and to eat delicious foods is an enjoyable experience. However, There is a problem when we only focus on the great gifts that God graciously gives us, instead of focusing on Him, the gift giver. In the end, by focusing only on the gift, it separates us from Him, and the gift that He gives to us only creates a barrier in our relationship with God. Then why is it that we expect these things from foods? It may be because we've experienced unexpected disappointment, because we've been hurt by someone, been so mad to the point of exploding, or it could be because of a reason such as losing our job overnight. Just as our stomachs growl when we are hungry, when our spirit is hungry, perhaps we've sought out food for instant gratification instead of God, the provider. Sometimes we think there is nothing better after a long day than some ice cream or some junk food. People try to comfort themselves with the satisfaction of food. However, can food really fill the void within our spirit? Can food really fulfill our spiritual and emotional needs? In the four Gospels, they record where food was Jesus's competitor during a part of his ministry. In John six. There is a scene where Jesus tells the people to choose between food that can fill their stomachs and Jesus that can fill their spirits. This is explained to us in the feeding of the five thousand. Jesus fed over five thousand people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. As much passion Jesus had to fill the hungry stomachs of these people, he also wanted to fill their hungry spirits. But no one cared for it. They had no interest in receiving their spiritual food to feed their spiritual needs. 
And to these people, Jesus tells them in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus tells us to eat the bread of life that he provides to us and to come and drink the water of life. He tells us that when we do, our spirit will no longer be hungry or thirsty. Food does fill our physical needs, and oftentimes it brings happiness to us. However, that is only temporary, and we will eventually become hungry again. Ultimately, food cannot satisfy nor fulfill our spirit. Many people who try to fulfill their spirit with food eventually left Jesus, and the Bible tells us they did not follow Him. Yeah.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Plot of Radical. Today's topic is Jesus is Worthy of, Part 2, based on Luke chapter 9. I hope you have blessed time with Pastor David Plot. I'll never forget the end of that first night. It's getting late. There's a girl, lady sitting in the front, a little more educated and lives in the city. She says, teacher, I have a question. She's so much sincerity in her heart. She said, I, I watch TV. And sometimes I see, I see worship services from churches back in the United States on TV. And she said, the preachers are dressed in very nice suits. Everyone is dressed very nicely and they're in very, very nice buildings. And she said, some of them even tell me that if, if you have enough faith, if I have enough faith, that I too can have all of these things. That I'll have wealth and I'll have abundance if I have enough faith. She said, I come to our churches and I look around and we're dirt poor and the government's coming to our doors. And she looked at me with all sincerity and she said, teacher, does this mean that we do not have enough faith? I wanted, I wanted to weep. I was sad. I was angry. I started to get really angry. Health and wealth preachers, name it, claim it. If you follow God, if you trust God, you'll have all these things. But then it was one of those times where God kind of turns the tables on you and he said to me, Dave, this is the system of which you are a part. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. A little over a year ago, I was preparing to go to a trip into the Sudan. Sudan, a country where a million of our brothers and sisters have died over the last 20 years in a horrible persecution of the church. As I was preparing to go into that place that was famished, people starving, people's lives literally blown apart, I got a Baptist state paper sent to me in the mail, and I won't say what state it was from, but there were two articles on the front of this paper. And I don't know if the editor did this intentionally or if he just missed it really, really bad. But on the left was an article. The headline was First Baptist Church, fill in the blank, celebrates new $23 million building. And the article that went on for a few pages talked about how this church had built a new $23 million sanctuary for them to worship in and talked about all the amenities and all the things that this building had. On the right, I looked and there was an article that said, that talked about Sudanese refugees and I thought, wow, this is great. It talked about how in the western Darfur region of Sudan at that time, there were 350,000 people who were literally dying of malnutrition, could die in the next month or two. And it talked about the starvation and the needs that were there. And then it said, the article said that Baptists had raised some money to send to the Sudan. I thought, this is great. But then I saw how much. Don't forget, on the left, First Baptist Church celebrates new $23 million building. On the right, it said Baptists had gotten together and given an offering of $5,000 to the Sudanese refugees. $5,000 is not enough to get a plane into the Sudan, much less one drop of water. Now, please hear me loud and clear. Please do not miss this. 
My goal, please hear me, in using this illustration is not to say this or that about church buildings. That's not my point. Not to bring an indictment against building church buildings. That's not my point. My point is certainly not to bring an indictment against that particular church. That's not the point. My point is to bring an indictment on you and me. We need to repent. What kind of faith have we created? for a people who claim that Jesus is worthy of all of our trust. And he's worthy of our plans and dreams. Those people are passionate about telling people about Jesus. Don't get me wrong. They work from sunup till sundown, hard, working hard in their fields. But at the center of their lives is a passion, is a responsibility that supersedes even putting food on the tables of their children. There's a responsibility that drives them, and that responsibility is telling people about the good news of Christ. Drives them. I went back in December. Six months later, Within six months, they had grown from two house churches to eight house churches, quadrupled. When I was there in December, I walked them through some tools that might help them as they share the gospel. And then what I did is I walked them through, okay, when you lead somebody to Christ, here's 25 truths that you can teach a new believer, a new disciple, a new follower of Christ. Here's 25 truths that you can use to begin teaching them how to follow Christ. So that's what we did. Two weeks later, just a few weeks ago, I got an email Two weeks after I'd gotten back, they said, teacher, we took good notes, but we want everything that you said to us because we want to translate it all into our own language. You see, we've got this problem. We've led 20 people to Christ since you left, and we need to start teaching them these truths. I emailed them back and said, if you guys would stop leading people to Christ, I could actually get something done that I need to get done here in the United States. (laughs) They are passionate. There is a whole movement, check this out, a whole movement in this country. It's called Back to Jerusalem. Their goal is to go from their country to Jerusalem. Their their goal is to mobilize 100,000 believers in house churches to go from their country to Jerusalem and hit all the unreached peoples in between. And they believe, they believe that God has given them persecution in their country as a gift to prepare them to go into places like the Middle East. In order to be a leader in this movement, you have to have spent some time in jail. I had the opportunity in December to do five days of training with that group. Guy picks me up from the airport. He spent five years in prison for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I go and I talk to these people. Many of them have their their, their parents in prison. Many of them told their families they're not coming back. They're going into India. They're going into Thailand. They're going into the Middle East. They're going to make the gospel known. You know what their training involves? Listen to this. Their training involves how to break out of handcuffs once you've been arrested. Anybody talk about that in your RBF? Their training involves how to jump out of a second or third story building without breaking your ankle in order to flee imprisonment. They said, you come to our seminaries, you'll see people jumping out of buildings. Anybody jumping out of windows today? RBF? Good. I don't don't think that's, that's a good thing. These people are passionate and they're getting the job done. It said the passion, the center of their lives. It's the same thing I saw when I was in Indonesia in October. I was, I was teaching at a seminary, a college and seminary, teaching about biblical preaching. Listen to this. In order to graduate, you're going to love this. In order to graduate from this college or this seminary, every student has to plant a church in a Muslim community with at least 30 new baptized believers. In order to graduate, 
I speak at their graduation at the end of that week. Every single person sitting in front of me has planted a church in a Muslim community with at least 30 new baptized believers. Two of the students had died in the process. And what I am saying to us this morning is that if our brothers and sisters in Asia and our brothers and sisters in Indonesia have this at the center of their lives, it is high time for you and I to put this at the center of our lives. And the members of that church, what happens when there is one thing that is driving them day in and day out, and it's telling people about Jesus Christ? What happens when that, when that takes hold? You know, I find it interesting. Jesus is worthy of our plans and dreams. I find it interesting. One of the most common questions in the church today, one of the most question, questions I'm asked most often is, how do I know God's will for my life? Dave, what is God's will for my life? You ever struggle with that? Ever thought through that question? Well, if you've struggled with that, or maybe you're struggling with it now, I want to free you up a little this morning. I want to free you up. How do I know God's will for my life? What is, God's, what is God's will for my life? Well, first of all, the majority of God's will for your life is right here. It's in Scripture. You've got 66 books that you know are the will of God for your life. I'm, I'm convinced that 95% of God's will for our life is right here. Sure, this, this book doesn't tell us uh, who to date in high school or where to go to college or what, who to, who to marry doesn't tell us what financial decision to make or what career decision to make. It doesn't give us the specifics on that. But I've got a feeling that if we would start taking God in his word and give ourselves to the 95% that he has shown us, maybe, just maybe, he would be faithful enough to show us the other 5%. So what is God's will for your life? Well, I think it centers around making disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. I think that is the heart of the New Testament telling people about Christ and teaching them to follow Christ. That is, I guarantee you, every single one of us who is in this room who is a believer, I'm standing before you today saying, you give yourself to making disciples of all nations, you will be in God's will. Mark it down, guaranteed. You give yourself to telling people about Christ and showing them how to follow Christ in your workplace, in your school, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your home, with your, your family, you're gonna be a part of God's will. And I believe we'll see the blessing of God when we give ourselves to his plan. And not just to stop there. Make disciples of all nations. What is God's will for my life? Almost like we're saying, what do you want me to do, God? Just show me what to do. How about the Dejang people group in the northern provinces of China? 394,000 of them. 394,000 with 595 mosques. That's one mosque for every 30 families. No, no Christian no missionary, no witness, no, no gospel. And we're sitting here saying, what do you want me to do, God? God, raise up a church that will no longer be content to sit back and wait for a tingly feeling to go down our spine to cause us to get up and do what we have already been commanded to do. God raised up a church that is passionate about making the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, God raised up a church that can hardly sleep while there's still people on this planet that haven't heard his name. He is worthy of our plans and our dreams. And he's worthy of our affections. I believe with all my heart that this is the core. That this is where it starts and this is the spring from which everything else flows. What I'm about to say is in no way an offense I pray to churches I've grown up in or churches I've been a part of in the past, churches I've served with, 
But in those times where we would fall on our faces in those underground house churches and weep before the Lord and pray and sing, I realized that there's never been a time in my life where I was a part of a community of faith where love for Christ was so real and so authentic. And I know what you're thinking. Well, well those are just, they're just emotional people. That's just the way they respond to, to God. That's just the way they do it. We're really not, not, not like that as much. On the contrary, these people live in a country where everything is about saving face. The last thing you should do is cry in public. These are simply a people that are overwhelmed by grace, church. They're overwhelmed by it. They're not praying big theological prayers. They're praying, God, thanks for not forgetting my name. Thanks for loving me. And I know what you're thinking. Well, well you're just advocating emotionalism We can't get so carried away in our emotions that we forget about truth. Oh, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. You know, I looked around that room and there was a lot of Bible knowledge that was lacking in some of their minds. But I had to realize that what they lacked up here, they had right here. As I got on a plane to come back, I had to realize and I had to confess, God, what I have got up here, what all of us in this room have got up here, I guarantee you the majority of us in this room have a lot more up here than they do. But what we've got up here somewhere along the way, we've missed out on completely right here. And I'm not advocating emotionalism and getting so carried away in our emotions that we are devoid of truth. But I am saying this, if we know God, we will be a people who feel for God. And if we love God, it will show in the way we express ourselves to him. In the middle of the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards looked at the church and he said, we should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are. And I believe it's the key. One of my favorite guys from history is a guy named Andrew Murray, prayer warrior. He said, as we seek to find out why with such millions of Christians The army of God that is fighting the host of darkness is so small. The only answer is lack of heart. And he went on and he said, the enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing in our churches. And that's because there is so little enthusiasm for the king. He said, much may be done of careful organization and strict discipline and good generalship to make the best of the few troops we have, but nothing, absolutely nothing, can so restore confidence and courage in God's people as the actual presence of a beloved king to whom every heart beats warm in loyalty and devotion. So what I ask you this morning, Church of Brook Hills, is there the presence of a beloved king that is at the center of this church family? And what I ask every single individual who is sitting in front of me this morning, I ask you, is this king the one for whom your heart beats? Does this king have your heart? Does he have your affection? And I think the best way for us to conclude our time in God's word this morning is for us in this room to have have some heart time. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that there is a beloved king. I believe he is worthy of all of our trust. And I believe he is worthy of all of our plans and dreams. And I believe he is worthy of all of our affections. 
And I want to invite you across this room this morning to do a heart check and to ask, in my life, am I showing him to be worthy of these things? And I want us to have some hard time. That may take place in different ways. After I pray in a minute, we're going to stand and sing. And some of you might just, just sing out of your heart and overflow to him. But I want to invite many of you to come down to this altar and just kneel before God as a public symbol of saying, God, here's, here's my trust. Here's my plans and dreams. Here, here's my affections. I pour it out before you. Let's be honest, there's some of us who've been through the church thing for a long time, but somewhere along the way, our hearts grow cold. And I want us to have some hard time this morning. And I know that in a room this size, there might be a child, a teenager, adult, college student who you've never given your heart to this king. You've never surrendered your heart to him. And I want you to know this morning that he's worthy. He is completely worthy. These words are, are tough, they're thick. But days after that, this king walked to a cross and he gave his life there so that you and I could be forgiven of all of our sins, could be cleansed of all the things we have done that separate us from God. And we don't have to sit here and wait anymore because we can be united to a relationship with him right here, right now. We can give him our heart. And I wanna invite you this morning, if you've never come to the point in your life where you've done that, he's worthy, he's worthy. And I want to invite you to come to one of these pastors who will be standing down here at the front and say, I want to give Jesus my heart. And I guarantee you, I promise you, based on the authority of a sovereign God of the universe, that he will show himself worthy in your life. Yeah. 
hardly speak Peace so unexplainable I, I can hardly think as you call listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, available on Play Store and App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Androids or iPhones. Just search for Heart and Soul to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602 866 8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. That's H E A R T A N D S E O U L dot org at gmail.com. Following is a program titled The Lord is My Shepherd, where we learn about our Lord who is our shepherd through Psalm chapter 23. Hello again, this is Jim Hughes with The Lord is My Shepherd. In this program we've been reading through Psalm 23, verse by verse, pondering the relationship between God, who is described as the shepherd, and ourselves, who are described as his sheep. Today is our final episode of The Lord is My Shepherd. We have considered that the psalmist, David, who was a shepherd himself, wrote 
reflecting upon his relationship with God, his shepherd. And this beautiful confession expresses his confident trust in the Lord. He concludes by declaring, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. When you hear this, what comes to your mind first? What comes to your mind when you hear the house of the Lord? Perhaps many people will think about God's holy temple in heaven. Some people may think about a church building, and some may think about a community center of some sort where believers gather. But the house of the Lord doesn't have only a locational sense to it. There is an underlying concept that transcends location. What do you think that is? Or have you ever heard expressions like, when I was a kid, we all knew the rules at my house? Or, do you share the laundry chores at your house? Or, your house seems very peaceful. Do you see what I'm getting at with these examples? Right. When we use the word house like this, the term doesn't necessarily refer to a specific building or location. The term house can be used to refer to the family and the members of that family. In fact, the word translated to the English word house in Psalm 23 verse 6 is in the original writing a Hebrew word, beith. This word can be used to refer to a temple, palace, shrine, or residence. But it also means household and family as well. When you think back about this whole Psalm 23, do you think that David, who throughout has considered himself one of the sheep, means that he wants to live in the temple of our Lord God? Or do you think he means that he wants to live as part of the family of God, to live eternally with him? Exactly. He means that he wants to live as God's child in his household forever. In this psalm, there is no mention of a location-specific house, but instead talk about the flock going through places like green pastures, quiet waters, and the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what sheep could confess that he will live forever as part of this shepherd's family? This confession would come only from a sheep extremely satisfied in living in the family of his shepherd, so much that he wouldn't ever want to leave the shepherd's side. A sheep that had experienced all of the ways which God cares for him. W. Philip Keller, writing in his book titled, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd and His Sheep, explains it like this. Quote, it's as though up to this point the sheep has been boasting to its unfortunate neighbor across the fence about the excellent care he has received from his owner on the home ranch throughout the winter and spring. End quote. Can you imagine? A sheep that spent the fall and winter in the tender care of his shepherd, spent the warm spring and summer in the abundant green pastures in the high mountains, protected from insects and diseases, returning again to spend the fall and winter in the care of his shepherd, 
in whom he has complete confidence. Imagine the sheep boasting to another sheep about his shepherd after having experienced his perfect caring and guidance. As if the sheep were saying, I'm so happy to be in my shepherd's family, I will never leave him and he will never let me go. And what delights the shepherd that takes care of the sheep? Wouldn't it be his satisfaction in seeing the sheep eating well, growing and living in his care with joy and contentment, and the deep intimacy that has been established between the shepherd and his sheep? They have no desire to be apart from one another. What is your relationship with God, our shepherd? Like the sheep, are you satisfied in the guidance of the Good Shepherd? Are you experiencing fully the care of the Shepherd? Recognizing He will not have you lack nor want anything. If you are fully confident and trusting in Him, then you too will be able to confess this like David. But for people who haven't experienced this, they can make no such confession. They look to the guidance of other shepherds, hanging out near the barns of other shepherds and are continually seeking to wander to the other side, expecting to find the other shepherds are better. Although residing in the care and guidance of the good shepherd, because it is indeed good, do you still try to follow after what you want, chasing after and eating from pastures where you shouldn't graze, going to places you shouldn't go? The sheep that does not enjoy a complete satisfaction in the shepherd cannot confess that they will dwell in the house of the shepherd forever. Our need is to experience the all-satisfying care of our loving God. We must entrust ourselves to Him in humble obedience, rest in Him, and seek to know Him more intimately, looking to His Word where He has revealed Himself. Our daily life should not include wanting to be away from God, but wanting to be near to Him. Christian, He chose you. He did not choose you randomly. He considered each of you carefully and picked you as His sheep. He knows you deeply, and He wants you to know Him deeply. Don't you want to learn more about Him who is your shepherd? Don't you want to live in Him, in His care and guidance, and without any worry? The one who knows all things, and the one who can do all things, is your shepherd. He chose you and is now leading you to His green pastures. My hope is that we all become people who fully trust and follow Him. I pray that this confession of David, Psalm 23, will also become our confession from the bottom of our hearts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks for listening. It's been my pleasure to present The Lord is My Shepherd. May God bless and keep you.
When you've had a long day or feeling sad or angry, how do you react? Do you find a good restaurant to go and eat away your stress? Do you find someone who can listen to your story? Some people may watch a movie, read a book, play a sport, or some might watch food shows as this is becoming the new fad. When we are in a state of vulnerability, what do we seek? Where do we run to? The answer to these questions will tell us what we truly depend on. When we talk to someone, generally what is the topic of discussion? This will tell us where our interest lies. If I am constantly talking about makeup and fashion, this can give a person a good idea of what I'm mostly thinking about. There is nothing in this world that can fulfill our needs. There is no one that can provide for us and fill our spirits like God can. There is no satisfaction greater than the joy of knowing Christ. God waits for us to rely, depend, and seek Him, and only Him. I hope that this next week, we can passionately seek and desire the bread of life that only God can provide to us. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Today will be my last broadcast hosting Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure and a blessing that God had allowed for me to be a part of this ministry. I hope that one day, when God allows, I will get the chance to speak to you all again. Thank you and God bless. Let no one caught in sin remain Inside the lie of inward shame We fix our eyes upon the cross And run to Him who showed great love and blood for us. Freely You bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Jesus is risen from the dead
trampling over the spiders Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Oh, death, where is your sting?